0: 72% of you are excited about it, which is great, which is great percentage-wise. And uh, yeah, it's big times, exciting times here. Uh, We are in the middle of a four-part series. I guess we're in part three of a four-part series, a message series that we're calling LEAP. And in part one of this series, we talked about some problems. We talked about the problem that we're having here as a church. We're outgrowing our space, and we need a bigger, better facility. And sure, that's a problem. But the bigger problem that we have here in our community, the bigger problem is the people who don't yet know Jesus. In the Ridley-Innerborough area, there are over 60,000 people. And I asked you some questions first week of this series. How many of those 60,000, how many of those 60,000 call themselves Christians? How many of those Christians are actually saved? And how many of the saved are actually living into this thing of discipleship? And so when you keep asking those questions of these 60,000, the more questions to ask, the closer and closer you get to zero. And so we've got a whole community of people that need us. And so that's the problem that we're here to solve. We need to share the gospel with these people. We need to share a better way to live the way that Jesus taught us. And so that's the problem. And here we are as a church to address that very problem. And God has given us a new space to meet. He's given us a building. He's given us a new location where we can grow and reach more and more people and eventually get to the point where we can plant other churches. That's right, churches, plural. And so we're excited for that, and that's fantastic. So that was week one. Week two, we talked about the fact that as we're making this big leap, we need to pray. (laughs) You need to pray before you leap. We need to be prepared. And yes, there's lots of preparations. There's there's ongoing planning and we're talking about what we're going to do with this space. We're trying to figure out this stuff and we've got some point people working with us helping us figure that out. We've got a long-term plan that we're trying to finalize and then a short-term plan. What do we need to do before we can get in there? And that planning, that's essential. That's important too. But what we need more than anything else is we need to be praying about this. Last week, for those of you who were here, I asked you for a personal favor. It's not a challenge. I just asked you for a favor. I asked you to be praying this leap prayer. If you did not get that leap prayer, if you did not get the email with the leap prayer, there's copies of this leap prayer back there at the welcome table. So now's the time to pray. And so I asked you all last week to make a commitment to pray for an entire week. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. Would you do it again? Would you give us one more week, one more week of praying every day over this transition? It's big stuff. And we need God to show up in a big way. That's what a leap of faith is. A leap of faith is putting yourself in that position where if God doesn't show up, it's not going to work out. So we need God. We need God for this. Let's be praying. So that takes us to week three of the series, and we're calling this message All Hands on Deck. Now, let me ask you all something. Um, you've all heard of the, the fear of failure, right? Is that something you're all familiar with? Okay. Fear of failure, it's a big thing. It's a, um, I believe it's a universal feeling, a universal experience. And, um, and you know what this is. It's the fear of, okay, if I try something, if I give it all my might and I fail, oh, that's going to just, it's going to hurt my feelings. It's going to be a shot to my pride. And, and so that fear of failure, it's what keeps us from doing the things that we want to do, Things that we feel like we should do because we're afraid that if we try, what happens if it doesn't work out, right? It's very similar to that fear of rejection. You know what that's like, guys, when you're afraid to ask the girl out? It's like, well, what if she says no? And it's like a fear of failure, fear of rejection, that same kind of fear. So we're familiar with that. You guys, you don't even need me to explain that anymore. You guys know what that is. All right. How about the fear of success? Have you heard of that? The fear of success. That's something different. That's the fear of if I try really hard and if I make this work and if I present my case and something actually comes through, oh my goodness, what happens if I succeed? What am I going to do with that success? Because here's a little secret for you, and you can write this down if you want to. I don't know that it's necessary. Failure is easier than success. It's easier to fail than it is to succeed. It is. You already know that. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In the business world, okay, I know nothing about the business world, but in the business world, right, if you're after some kind of a contract, you're trying to get somebody's business, and you present a case, you make your, your proposal, and you show them that proposal, and we want your business, and you pull out all the stops, right? You give it your all. You make that case. You want this potential client. You say, here's what we're going to do for you. You make that case, and they say, no thanks. Oh, man, you failed, and that stinks, and it's a shot to your pride. It's like, well, at least we gave it our all. But what if they say, yes, (laughs) you make that picture, you make that proposal, and they say, yes, well, that's great, you've succeeded. But now, now you have to deliver on all those promises, everything you said you are going to do, right? Does that make sense? Those of you who are in the business world, it's not my world, but if you're in that world, maybe that makes sense to you. There's that fear of success. What happens if this actually works out? Can you imagine the amount of work this is going to be to make this happen? Woo, the fear of success. You know, sometimes, sometimes we fail and there's nothing we can do about it, right? You try your best, you put yourself out there, you do your planning, you do your praying, and it's just it wasn't meant to be and things just fail. But sometimes, and this is a sad reality, sometimes we choose failure because failure is easier. It's easier to fail than to succeed. Sometimes when we're faced with obstacles, or hurdles. We just say, you know what? I tried. I got to a certain point. I was trying to do something big for business, or I was trying to do something big for my family, or I was trying to do something big for God. But I got to a certain point where there were some roadblocks, and I just said, you know what? I can't do it. At least I tried, and I think God's going to give me credit for trying, but I failed. <sighs> this is sad reality that some people choose. Instead of pursuing, instead of persevering, instead of continuing on, they face those obstacles and say, okay, that's it. I'm shutting it down. Is that, is that your story? Have, have you ever done that in your life? I mean, I, I feel like I have. Maybe you know some people, that's their story. They always have a reason for why things didn't work out. Maybe they had a big vision, a big idea, something big they wanted to do for, for God. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this thing. But then when it got tough, they just said, okay, this is too tough. I tried, right? You got to give me credit for trying, right? But they choose failure. Is this making sense? I'm just trying to warn you. Now, listen, young people in the room, let me talk to you for a second, Okay. You decide whether or not you're young. That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you what age that is. Young people in the room, don't let that be your life story. You know, I'm afraid of that. I, I see. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. I think about my funeral. <laughs> Maybe because I'm morbid. I know, right? It's weird. And at my funeral, I don't want somebody to stand up and say, you know what, Josh Schaefer, he had some big ideas, and he had a big heart, and he had passion, and things didn't quite work out for him, but at least he tried, and so we can all appreciate that. I don't don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be my story. you don't want that to be your story either. You know, certain times, like said, certain certain times, failure is inevitable. There's just certain things aren't meant to be, and it's not God's will, and that's one thing, but, but other times, we just have to press on and keep Moving. i tell you what, uh, about a week and a half ago, I went back, and uh, I was looking at some old emails, some correspondence between myself and some of the leadership at First Baptist Church of Ridley Park, just going over our history. I mean, last week, I told you a very long history. I spoke to you for 54 minutes. That's right, 54 minutes, (laughs) and I only gave you the highlights in those 54 minutes, right? That was the edited version. But I gave you some of the history of what's been going on over the past five years, and there's been a lot of conversations, a lot of correspondence. And I read an email from back in 2016. Why do I save these emails? I just, it's good to have, I guess. I read an email that I received from, from one of the board members in 2016. And the email said this: It said, We have no intention to ever give Hope Community Church financial or administrative control of our property. That's what it said. And it was very polite, by the way, it was polite but it was direct, this isn't happening. And when I went back and read that email, I had conflicting feelings, conflicting emotions about that. (laughs) Because on the one hand, it took me back to that place where I felt like a door was closed, where I felt like we hit an obstacle. And it just made me feel that sense of how disappointed I was when I first received that email. But then on the other hand, (laughs) I know where we are now, right? I know what's happening in the present. And I know that hearts have changed. And I know that God has changed that individual's heart and everybody's heart. And I know that in the present day, 100% of the board, the staff, and the congregation have all decided they want to do this. And they're enthusiastic about it. I go over there and worship almost every Sunday at 930. And every week they ask me, when is it going to happen? Can you bring some people over? We want to see this happen. They're excited for it. Look how God can change things. But at that point in time, I had a choice to make back then in 2016 when I read that email. Do I say, oh, roadblock, door closed, but at least I tried. At least I tried. And I could go back to our board and I could say, guys, listen, you know, I've been trying to work on this. I've been trying to build a relationship and I've had some missteps along the way. I've made some messes along the way. I've tried to clean them up, but you know what? The door's just closed. I'm sorry. And you know what would have happened if I had said that to our board? They'd say, that's okay, buddy. It's all right, buckaroo. You tried your best, and we appreciate you trying. And if I'd stood before you all and said, listen, I've been really trying, guys, to make something happen, and I've been working on this relationship, and it seems like God is in this, and I thought God was in this, but it just got too tough, you would say to me the same, we understand, Josh. Thanks for trying. But I don't want that to be my story. And so at that point, I did, and I told our board this. I told our leaders this. I'm like, okay, it's, it's up to us now to just do what we can to keep that door open. Because if this is God's will, ain't nobody going to stop it. That's the important thing to remember. When something is God's will, there's going to be obstacles. Nobody's saying it's going to be easy to accomplish God's will. Nobody's saying that. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be challenges. But if it's God's will, it's going to happen. There ain't no stopping it. It's an important thing to keep in mind. As we've been having, uh, going through this Leap series, we've been looking to, to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is my guy from the Bible. Read about his story. I've been trying to follow Nehemiah's example. And so I want to get back to Nehemiah and his story and how that overlaps or parallels to some degree with our story. So if you would take a look at Nehemiah. Let's go back to chapter 1. We're going to bounce around a little bit. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to keep it open or keep the app open or whatever it is. We're going to look at a few passages here. But in Nehemiah chapter 1, again, Nehemiah has been met with this news. He realizes that his people are living in distress, and it breaks his heart. His heart is breaking for his people, for his community, and God honors that. So there's Nehemiah, and he begins this season of prayer. He prayed for about four months, praying to God day and night, this period of prayer and fasting also, asking God to accomplish God's own will. Nehemiah is praying God's will back to God. God, you love these people. God, you promised restoration. God, you don't want to see your people live in distress. You don't want to see them live in disgrace. We need to do something, God. And he's praying God's will back to God. Friends, think of what God's will is for the 60,000. What does God want for the 60,000 here? What does He want? He wants all 60,000 to know Him, to know Jesus as their Savior. Let's just pray God's will back to them, right? There's power in that. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. You're just praying Jesus' will back to him. So Nehemiah is praying God's will back to him. And he ends his prayer, chapter 1. Verse 11, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name, and give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He was working for the king, King Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was a man without power, without influence, but he had the ear of the king, the most powerful and influential and wealthy man in the world. He was the cupbearer to the king. So let's see how this works out. Chapter 2, we pick up. So Nehemiah has been praying for four months. In the month of Nisan, I really wanted to say in the month of Nisan Ultima, but that's not, that's not it. It's in, the, in the month of Nisan, which was like April, May, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. You know why? Because being sad in the presence of the king was a capital offense. That's the kind of power this man had. Can you imagine? Nobody's allowed to bring me their sad faces or their drama or their heartaches. Keep it out of my presence. Why don't you want that power for just a day? Just a day. Just an afternoon. Just give me that for an afternoon. Don't come at me with your sad stories, all right? And so Nehemiah, here's his first step of action. Prayer, 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 prayer. Action step, looking sad. That's what he does. And this isn't about acting. This isn't about putting on a, Ooh, what's wrong, Nehemiah? This isn't about that. This is about Nehemiah lowering the mask. You know what I mean, right? You the mask we wear in public. We're hurting on the inside, but we still have to go to Acme. We still have to do our shopping. We still have to be polite with people. So you wear the mask, and you're polite. <laughs> yeah. Then every once in a while, that mask slips, doesn't it? And somebody in your life says, what's wrong? What's wrong? so Nehemiah wasn't acting he stopped acting he lowered the mask and the king saw him so what's, what's going on here? pick up with that so the king asked me verse 2 of chapter 2 why does your face look so sad when you are not ill this can be nothing but sadness of the heart so the king picked up on this I was very much afraid is what Nehemiah says because this is it this is the moment guards get him out of my sight have him executed it could have happened Was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Now, this just makes sense. Be respectful. Show respect. This guy has authority, show respect to him. May the king live forever. And then he answers the king's question Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed with fire? Why should I look anything but sad? You know what's going on with my people. Do you know about my city? The king said to me, what is it you want? Oh, are you kidding me? What a wonderful question. And by the way, Nehemiah is going to tell us, this is God opening doors here. What do you want? Well, since you asked. You know what I mean? Can you imagine? What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Do you ever have little prayers like this? Okay, this is it, God. Oh, show up, God. Here we go. And I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. This is, this is so important, by the way. The whole prayer thing, it didn't stop. Okay, four months, I'm done, now it's time to get to work. No, the prayers had to continue throughout this whole process. I prayed to the God of heaven, I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king said, with the queen sitting beside him, and the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you be back? Well, that sounds like a yes to me, doesn't it? <laughs> so this is special, this little note. We know that the queen is sitting there with the king. That gives us the idea that, um, you know, the queen would not have been the king where he was there doing official business in the court or in a public place. And so this is probably in a more private setting. He's serving, a, you know, the, the king and the queen wine. The, the queen is there. And so they're having a somewhat intimate moment. Can I share that? Can I use that word, Intimate? You know what I mean. They're having a real moment together. So there they are. The king is there with the queen, asks how long. If, uh, if it, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So he's like, okay, he's asking when I'll come back, and so he sets a time, I'm going to be gone this long, and then I'll come back, and he does come back. We read that in the book of Nehemiah. He does go back to the king eventually. I also said to him, now here we go. Here's where it's like, well, he's listening. Well, I've already gotten one yes out of him let's see how far we can take this, right? So he asks for some more. Why not? Here's another front little leadership principle I learned along the way. Never say somebody else's no for them, right? Don't say somebody else's no for them. Oh, I'm not even going to ask because they're probably going to say no. Let, go ahead ask. Let them say no, right? Let the king say no. He's already said he's going to send it back. Let them say no. So he continues to ask, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? He's like, not only can I go back, can you Promise me safe passage. I need my papers in order so people will say, well, who are you and why are you traveling? I said, well, the king sent me. It's cool. He can't hurt me. And, oh, he's going for it now in verse 8. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy. Can you send me there? Can you give me safe passage? And can you also fund at least a part of this? Are you kidding me? Woo! God bless you, Nehemiah. And the king grants this request. He's prayed over it. He's prayed up. He's been preparing for this moment. He has this moment. God, he doesn't even say, hey, king, can we talk at some point in time? There's something I want to... No, it wasn't even like that. The king starts the conversation. Why are you looking sad? What's wrong? And offers his help, offers his support. That's what happens. Chapter 2, verse 11, I went to Jerusalem. Oh, wait a minute. Let me go back because you got to know about this. Verse 10, when Sambal the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Okay. So again, we're being introduced to the bad guys in this story. There will be opposition. There are people surrounding nations that don't want Israel to be a nation again. They don't want them to be restored. And So to find out that somebody's come to solve this problem is upsetting some people. It's ruffling some feathers. There's going to be opposition. And when there's opposition, Nehemiah has the choice to make, right? He said, man, God, I tried to do this big thing for you. I tried to rebuild your city. I thought it was your will. But look, there's bad guys after me. Sorry, God, and I'm going back to King Artaxerxes. He could have done that. You've got to push through. If it's God's will, you've got to push through. All right? Verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, so he's there three days, on the DL, keeping a low profile. With their three days, I set out during the night. Isn't this fun? He sets out during the night with a few others, close friends, people he can trust, and I not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. In my study Bible, I have a little note written in the margin. It says, dwell before you tell. I'm pretty sure I heard Andy Stanley say that. It sounds like an Andy Stanley thing. Dwell before you tell. And he's out there at night, and you read more about it. He travels around, and he sees the destruction. He's writing some kind of donkey or camel or something he has to get off at one point because the donkey can't climb over the rubble it's a war-torn area and he just surveys here's what needs to be done here there's what needs to be done there Oh, that's a big old mess over there not saying not, not not making a big announcement just waiting he's doing his homework praying as he goes Verse 14, then I moved. It's just showing you where he goes around. He's going to the fountain gate, going to the king's pool, all these different areas. I went up by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. He made all the way around the perimeter of the city. Verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as of yet, I said nothing to the Jews, the priests, or the nobles, or officials, or any others who would be doing the work. Surveying, figuring out what needs to be done, praying your way through it. Verse 17, then I said to them, here's the big announcement, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. We're seeing that word again. That was the initial problem that Nehemiah identified. The people of God, the people who are supposed to be a light to the world, the people who are supposed to be an example of God's love and God's strength, are living in disgrace. He's using that word again, we're living in disgrace. Look around, we all know how we're living in disgrace. Let's solve this problem. Let's rebuild the wall. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And here's what we're going to see Nehemiah do. If you've read the book, you've seen this. Nehemiah serves as a vision caster. Like, Here's what can be. Here's what can be. If we do this work, here's what will be. If we do this work, here's what will be. But he also serves as a reminder to the people. Remember how God has brought us this far. Remember how God has brought us this far. And when the people felt like quitting, he said, Remember how God's hand has been in it up to this point. Don't quit. Keep going. They replied, here's my favorite part, let us start rebuilding, da-da-da-da, so the good work began. It's just that easy, isn't it? It's just that easy. When we get to chapter three, we'll, we'll read more of what actually happens and some of this good work and what needed to be done. But here's one of these verses in the Bible, it's like, so, there's so much packed into just a few words. Can you, can you imagine what this, what this means for the people? Here they are, they're trying to rebuild their lives. They're trying to to figure out where are we going to live and how do we build our house and how am I going to earn money and I've got bills to pay. And it was a time of poverty too, by the way. And these people are saying, what needs to be done for the sake of this community? Oh, we need to rebuild a wall? Fine, I'll take the time off work. I'll I'll, I'll let other things kind of sit on. I'll let my own home kind of sit on the back burner while I attend to this because this is important and we're living in disgrace and we can't live like this. It's a major commitment, a major sacrifice That was required in order for this work to be done. It's no secret. I'm using Nehemiah as my example here. Trying to follow his model. All right, step by step, okay? Surveying, dwelling before you tell, doing all this, reporting back to people, taking a few trusted friends, making the big announcement, trying to follow his example. And in week one, when I made the big announcement, what did we see? Yay! Can we keep that going? Can we keep applauding with a hammer in our hands? Well, not, not literally, but you know what I mean. Can we keep that spirit of gratitude going as we set about to do the work? Can we do that? Can we do that? Yes. All right. This side can do it. How about over here? Can we do that? All right. What is this? I should not be allowed to do this job. Anyway, yes. Yes, we can do this. I want you to take a look at this very fun little list we came up with. That's in your bulletin. Did you see this fun list? I've been reading your faces the whole time, and you oh, we saw the list. <laughs> Just so you know, this is not a comprehensive list, okay? <laughs> this is an overview of some of the things that need to be done. Let's talk through this, shall we? The gutters need to be cleaned out and repaired. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's not that big of a job. You got a ladder and a few guys and a bucket of tar, boom, done. But it needs to be done, right? It's probably about six or seven months overdue. And water is pouring over the downspouts and it's getting into the basement. It's a mess. So it needs to be fixed. Okay, we could do that. It just takes a few people to do this. The basement needs to be cleaned out. There's a bunch of stuff in the basement. They've collected stuff over years. Now that stuff has been damaged. And so there's a bunch of stuff down there that needs to be cleaned out. And eventually the basement needs to be gutted out. Paneling needs to be taken out. Cabinetry needs to be taken out. We just need to gut that place out, clean it, and let it dry out. Okay, that's, you know how basements get. And so we're looking for somebody to help us organize a few of these basement cleanout days. And if you're willing to do that, let me know. We'll coordinate. We'll talk one-on-one, and we'll make that happen. And we're going to rent some dumpsters, probably take multiple days, and we'll make this happen. There's asbestos tile. It needs to be removed or sealed or something like that. Now, I've got a lead on somebody who might be able to do this. I've been trying to coordinate. Listen, I'm doing as best as I can, Okay. But if you know someone who can do that, that requires, like, a professional touch. That'd be great. We'd love to have somebody in-house take care of that. All the bathrooms, how many bathrooms? One, two, there's four bathrooms as of right now. They all need work. One of them, hey, where we go? We're plotting for bathrooms. Four bathrooms. Uh Oh, Can we make it five? Can we, I don't know, we're trying, we're trying, all right? We're going to see what we can do with the bathrooms. One's in pretty great shape, uh, but they all need some work. And so someone who's got, like, some plumbing, again, professionals would be great, you know, but we'll take what we can get, We need to build a couple classrooms for our kids. Guess what? We're not putting our kids down in that basement. We're not doing it, all right? We're going to build some classrooms. There's an area behind the sanctuary. We're going to open it up. We're going to build a couple nice classrooms for our kids. That needs to be done. Two large screen monitors need to be purchased and installed in the sanctuary. If you come over with me today and see the space, you'll see where we need to put those up. We'd love to have a professional touch with that. If somebody knows somebody who can help us with that, we need some help figuring out what we actually need. What's the best? Do we need TVs? Do we need screens with projectors? What do we need? So if someone knows how to do that professionally, great. We could use them installed too because we don't want those things falling down once they're up there, okay? Little things, little things and big things. What else do we need? There's some cosmetic damage in the sanctuary. If you've been over there, you've noticed that. Uh, there used to be some leaks in the roof they have been patched up, but the damage that those leaks have caused is still, caused is still there, so we need to do some plaster work. Sanctuary and classrooms need to be painted. If anybody knows how to paint, <clears throat> that would be great. Um, small detail, we need some finances for the project, somebody to write the checks. It's a small thing, right? Listen, let's not worry about that. Let's not worry about that. Let's remember we've come from nothing and we've made it to this point. Every mission trip we've ever been on, the funds have been there. Every time that we said, okay, God, we think you're calling us, the money shows up. It's not a problem for God. He just needs to take the money from where it is to where it needs to be. That's it. So God, do it. Do what only you can do. And so we will need finances for the project. And most importantly, we'll need a whole bunch, a whole herd, a whole gaggle of Nehemiahs. We need a whole bunch of Nehemiahs. Let me explain what I mean by that. Listen. Yeah, okay. I'm following Nehemiah's playbook here, but I'm not Nehemiah, all right? I'm not sure what your expectation is here. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what you people want from me, all right? But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Nehemiah. I'm not. I don't have his heart. I don't have his skill set. You know, I'm a poor man's Nehemiah on my best day, okay? It's not me. Now, as we start talking about this over the past several weeks, I've heard multiple of you use the same phrase, say, we're going to be the worker bees when we get in there. Isn't that funny, a funny phrase to keep hearing? I've heard that at least three times. People have said, we're going to be the worker bees. I love that. Thank you so much for that. And we do need some worker, be sure, but what we really need, we need some Nehemiahs. We need people who have Nehemiah's heart and his vision and his compassion and his love for our community, people who have that kind of a heart and devotion. You don't want me to be your Nehemiah because we need more than one Nehemiah. I mean, what if we had a critical number of us in this room Taking this on, owning this, saying this is our problem to solve. The buck stops with us. The buck stops with hope. We need a whole herd of Nehemiahs. That's how we're going to get this done. Prayer and hearts that are broken the way that God's heart is breaking for our 60,000 neighbors. That's what we need. Let me take a look back in chapter 3 of Nehemiah. See how some of this work got done. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah, this is where uh, one of these passages where we, we, we want to kind of just skim over because it's a bunch of names and it's like a bunch of details. Like, why is this relevant to us, right? A bunch of names that we can't pronounce, or at least I can't pronounce. The details of who was fixing what parts of the wall. And you might wonder, why is this even included in the Bible, right? We get it. We just give us the broad picture, God. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, and some of the people built the wall, and that's all there is to it. Well, well it's recorded in detail. And again, we might want to skim. Chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work rebuilding the sheep gate. And so the priests were rebuilding the sheep gate. The sheep gate is where the sacrificial animals, the sheep, would enter through into the city. And so the priests had an invested interest in seeing that completed. And it started there. There's also something that's, that's very symbolic about this. Remember, we talked in week one about this wall and how it meant something more than just a physical structure. There was the idea of reestablishing God's boundaries. God had set boundaries for his people. They needed to reestablish those boundaries. And what do you start with first? You start with sacrifice. The blood of the lamb, sacrifice, came first. That gate was first. There's all kinds of gates. There's a fish gate. There's a dung gate. You don't want to enter through the dung gate, by the way. You can look that up on your own. But anyway, it gives us a list of who did what. Fish gate was rebuilt by these guys whose names I can't pronounce. All this stuff happened. A few things I want to point out to you. Um, Let's see. Verse 10 Adjoining this, Jedediah, son of some guy, made repairs opposite his house. And so there was some practical strategy to this. You know, you had your house and you lived by that part of the wall. Okay, well, it's exp- this part of the wall. I have an invested interest in making sure this part of the wall is solid. So there's that. All these names are recorded. Verse 12, God bless you. Verse 12, Shalom, son of some other guy, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next session with the help of his... Yeah! Rosie the Riveters. I don't know how to do it, but anyway, come on ladies, you're not off the hook, we're doing this together, right, where are my daughters, come on, let's do this, right, yes, there's two enthusiastic ladies, all right, we can work with that, we can work with that, but look, all of these names are recorded here in our Bible, again, why? This is for us, this book. But you know what? This is also one of God's record books. (laughs) God took note of all the people who engaged in this good work. He made made a note of it, and he made sure that history preserved their names. Look at who did this work. It was God's will to see this accomplished. He wrote them all down. He knows this. But I want to pop back for just a quick minute to verse 5. Verse 5. Because he also noted in verse 5 some people who did not participate in the work. God made a note of that as well. I'm just going to leave that there and let the Holy Spirit preach to you on that, okay? So there's that. But God valued this work. He honored the people who did this work. He recorded those names down so that we have them. They did the work. And as Pastor Sean mentioned before, it's not the work that one person can do. It's the work of a collective. And here's what's going to happen today. At 11 a.m., you received an email from me. If those of you, if I have your email address on file, it's got all this information on it too, okay? A little bit more detail of what we need. And I I just know my inbox is going to be inundated with people saying, I want to help, I want to help, what can I do, what can I do, here's what I want to do, here's how I want to contribute. I know it. It's going to be inundated and it's going to be a mess. We're going to have so many volunteers. What are we going to do? Well, We're going to organize all these people. I welcome that mess. Let's bring that mess on, okay? We'll figure it out from there. We'll let God sort through the details of getting people organized. But now is the time for us to stand up and say, yeah, I'm in. I'll help. I want to be a part of this. I want to help solve this problem. This isn't something that somebody else is going to do. This work God has given to us. Yeah, it would have been easier for us to fail, right? We'll just stay in the theater, We don't have to do anything. That's not God's will. God's will is for us to reach the 60,000. We need to take this next step. We need to take this next step to accomplish God's will. And we will do just that together. First, we rebuild a building. Then, we restore a community. And I'll speak more to that next Sunday. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you. No Lord, we see your hand at work in all of these things. We see how you've opened doors for us. Father God, we pray right now. We pray your will back to you. We believe you want to see these people. You want to see our neighbors, the people in our lives. You want to see them get to know you. And so Father God, we pray that you would break our hearts as your heart breaks for our 60,000 neighbors. Break our hearts for the lost people in our lives. Father God, we thank you for your promise of eternal life to all who receive you as Savior. We thank you for giving us not only salvation, but a wise way to live in this broken world. And Jesus, we thank you for giving our church the opportunity to share your gospel with more of the people in our lives, in our new facility. And we thank you for giving the people of First Baptist Church of Ridley Park a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of advancing your mission. Father, throughout our church's history, you have given us favor with many kings, people in positions of power, wealth, influence, who have contributed to the life and growth of Hope Community Church. And once again, God, we ask you to grant us favor with the kings, the people who have the means to rebuild and renovate the property you have given to us. Lord, show us how we are kings. Show us how you would have us sacrifice in order to rebuild this church property and increase the presence of your gospel in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.